Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Beehive Jive. Um, this is our ninth podcast, and we are calling it the Honey Show Show uh, because we've just come back from the National Honey Show here in the UK, which was held in Isha in Surrey, um, and we had a great time. So we thought we'd talk about it on this podcast and also um, share an interview that we did with Bob Mora, who is the chairman of the National Honey Show. Um, so, Paul, it was your... My first. It was your first, yeah. I'm no longer a Honey Show, honey show virgin. No, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think you'd been to some other things, but never to this one, and I think... That was really good. It yeah. was really... I've been to a couple of other beekeeping, conferency things, um, but nothing as good as this. I mean, it's the, apparently it's the oldest... So it was running in uh, 1923. Yes. And it went at the Crystal Palace, which is yes. a very famous old building. It was made out of glass. That's why it's called the Crystal Palace. And that run until... South London. Yeah. Run until 1936 when it burnt down. Yeah. As a candle-making workshop was, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't as Didn't good go as planned. No. Didn't go as planned. Destroyed a national monument. No. There you go. So, now, so, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And now they do it at Sandown Racecourse. It's a beautiful venue. So it's a, it's a racecourse. So you, you, in a, you look out, you see, you see the fields. It's lovely. Really enjoyed it. I, the, um, got loads of shows. So they, I think, I can't remember how many exhibits they said they had, but. Yeah. Anything, anything you want to make in beekeeping, you could probably win a prize taking it there. I think they had over a thousand. Bob says in his interview how many exhibits they had because obviously there's the show like the competitive yeah. bit whereas you say it's like as you say everything every hive product so honey beeswax mead frames uh for extraction and then all the arts and crafts stuff that's amazing it is it's amazing when you see the candles obviously i mean there are just so many well, i was surprised how, how interesting uh, three thousand jars of honey could be because you just walk along, you see different shades, darknesses. Yeah, heather honey. Yeah, the labelling, the label competition, I liked as well. Mm. Different ways of labelling jars. And then there's a trade show, isn't there, where you can go and buy stuff. Yeah, go shopping. I went shopping. It was good. You did go shopping. I did. I went. I went shopping. I bought you treated a. Yourself. I bought a two-in-one nuck, which you is did, uh, yeah. really clever. It's like a polystyrene nuke with a divider board down the middle, so you can either have it as a six-frame nuke, or you can put the divider board in, and they've got two entrances either side. And you can turn it into a uh, three-frame three nuke. So I'll be using that next year for it's perfect, splits and it? stuff. Yeah, it was really good. For, for queen rearing. And, and you bought a smoker? I treated myself to a new smoker. I've not had good luck with smokers, actually. Well, I, I keep running you, over them with the car. I didn't realise you throw your smokers. Well, actually, yes. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. I was trying to cover that up with running them over the car. But no, I I have been known to throw them a couple of times when things weren't going according to plan. But um, it's better than throwing nukes or something like that. <laughs> I'm so, just, yeah. I'm just, I've never seen you throw a nuke. Uh, oh, I have a bit of a temper, but we, we won't tell anyone you about like that. You look like a rioter in a bee suit throwing a, throwing a firebomb or something. <laughs> My nana likes to listen to this podcast and I don't want her to know about my bad temper, although I think she probably does. Um, so, yeah, so I bought a new uh, a smoker, which is a nice big one, actually. It's a Dayton smoker, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, really big. So as you pointed out, I won't have to keep relighting it. I was jealous of your smoker. I was very tempted to buy one myself, but I've actually already got three. I don't really need yeah. that one. It, it is a good one. But, um, 
I think, you know, the honey show overall, I mean, as well as all the competitive stuff in the trade show, you've got loads of workshops that you can do. Yeah. And which normally I do do, but this year I didn't do any because the lectures were so good. There's this lecture program, um, which, well, there are two lecture programs. There's one uh, which is done by Beecraft, which is lectures about research, which yeah. is currently going Beecraft's on. Beecraft's a UK right? beekeeping yeah. magazine. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the main lecture program, which this year had some amazing speakers from the States um, and Canada. Um, absolutely brilliant. So I just kind of parked myself in there for kind of three days, basically, um, and listened to amazing stuff. Yeah. We'll talk about lectures in a little while. Yeah. yeah. But that's why I went for the lectures. So, yeah, you've got two, two type lectures. You've got the guest lectures and then... Beecraft is the which is the UK's beekeeping magazine. They run lectures from bee researchers, and they do interesting things like uh, importance of genetics in queen rearing and things. Mm. I didn't get to any of those because I was like you. I just camped out in the lecture hall and mm. uh, drunk coffee at cake <laughs> and watched these uh, watch these things. So, and it's run over three days, which is great. So you can go there. Um, so we went. Did a morning lecture, went mm. to the pub for lunch. Oh, great pub. The Bear. The Bear. In yeah. Asia. So we're going to give a shout out to the Bear in Asia. They do a really nice Reuben sandwich. Oh, and a fish finger sandwich. <laughs> God, it was so good. In fact, I had it two days in a row. You did, yeah. It was nice. We kind of made an occasion it was nice. out of it. Because, yeah, you've got, you know, you've got the nice things to buy. You've got a nice place to have lunch. Nice conference facilities. Yeah, we met lots mm. of people from our beekeeping association. It was quite mm. nice. And we just sat down and listened to people talk about bees. And then you can ask them questions afterwards and um, chat to them, which I thought was great. Yeah. It's really well run, tremendously well run uh, event. So I think what we're going to do now is we're going to play the interview you did with Bob Mora. Bob, yeah. Uh, and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about some other stuff. Great. I'm here with Bob Mora, who is chairman of the National Honey Show. Absolutely delighted to be talking to him about the show and um, very grateful that he's kindly taken time out from what is a very hands-on role um, here at the show. Um, Bob, welcome. Thank you very much, Tracy. And so this is day two of the show. Day two of the show open to the public, day three for the team as we set up on the, on the Wednesday. Absolutely. And so um, I can see that, you know, you've got a great team of volunteers. We have a huge team. It's uh, uh, the uh, executive team that works on it all year round is about 25 people. Uh, and they do a lot of work uh, promoting and organizing during the year. Right now, we've got about 150 people working for us. It's a big team and they're they're it's an amazing team they all know exactly what they've got to do uh, and they, so it's a well-oiled machine um because this this is its second year at a new ve- well it's a new venue it a, was a new venue last a year a new venue for us yeah. yes, yes it's the second year here at Sandown Park uh, Racecourse and it's wonderful because it's a huge space and all under one roof so it doesn't, yeah. we're weatherproof yeah. uh, and uh, and it brings everybody together because the show the honey show itself and all the other activities are in one big space so it's inclusive uh, 
It is it is a lovely venue, I have to say, and you know, great lecture room and having the trade exhibition under the same roof. Well, that's right. Mm. Yes, I think people don't realise just uh, you know the Honey Show is probably slightly misnamed, although it's uh, it's historic and we can talk about that later. But uh, it's so much more because we have the, a huge Honey Show. Uh, we have, uh, as you said, uh, lectures every day, uh, but different uh, levels of lectures as well. We have our main speakers in the main hall, uh, many of whom are internationally renowned. We have mm. Professor Tom Seeley here yeah. this year, which is terrific, and Heather Matilla over yeah. from Canada. Uh, there is another lecture theatre where today Beecraft magazine is organising a series of research lectures, mm -hmm. and therefore uh, people who are working on cutting-edge research and maybe not quite ready for the main stage, but it's a chance for them to share their, uh, their work with, with everybody. Uh, tomorrow uh, we'll have a day of lectures for beginners as well so that, that uh, some of the, the heavy duty stuff that goes on in the main theatre is perhaps a bit strong for, for beginners mm. uh, and, the, uh, and the lectures for beginners are great the um, workshops we run are really popular too we have 35 or so hands on workshops where people can go and actually make things yeah. and do things skeps and, skeps and toiletries and, and yeah, yeah, yeah that's it exactly that so yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's a really big show, and of course the trade show as well, which yeah. is is massive. So everybody can uh, buy all their equipment ready for next year. Yeah, and it, um, I've been coming to this show for a number of years. So since I was a beginner, um, I think I came in my first year of beekeeping, and I think one of the brilliant things is that there is something for everybody. Absolutely, yeah. It, you know, it doesn't matter. I think, uh, you know, you don't have to be an expert to be at the National Honey Show. Yeah, you know, we're yeah. here to learn and have a good time. Absolutely. It has that, uh, I think people have a perception that it's only for the really top successful show people in the country and uh, that's definitely not the case of course they are here and they're the benchmark that everybody aspires to mm. but there are classes uh, open to just uh, individual counties uh, and there are uh, there are simple classes that don't require such uh, uh, strong uh, judging class five, for example, is a good class to go into because it's got um, uh, uh, it's the class where judges actually write comments about the entries, so that uh, oh, right. uh, the the entrants will understand why their honey is good or why their honey isn't yeah. good, uh, rather rather than just having a, a rejection. Uh, that it, we'd like to do that with all the classes, but it would just we would still be judging two days later if we Absolutely. did that. So how many entrants did you have in the actual competitive bit of the show? Well, I, I can tell you exactly because I've got the figures <laughs> in front of me. Uh, this year uh, we had 1,863 entries, which is up on last year. Uh, we had 1,696 last year, so... Uh, that's good. And the entrants are up. Uh, 210 people entered in 2016 and 237 entered this year. So it's on an upward yeah. curve. And that's really good. Definitely. To, you know, people are... Uh, are getting the getting the bug for it. Yes, yeah. And so that must make this show one of the the biggest. Well, we're pretty confident it's the biggest in the world. Yeah. 
Um, we've, That's fantastic. We have, uh, I mean, it is an international show. We've got uh, Honey here this year from New Zealand, from Trinidad and Tobago, from Holland. Um, uh, where else? Jersey and Guernsey, if that's yeah. international. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it's off these shores. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it is. It's very exciting walking through the competitive bit because you know when you come into the hall, there are these kind of rows of white shelves, and the jars of honey lined up seem to kind of go on forever. It is a lovely, lovely sight. It's spectacular, isn't it? it it's beautiful. And I think it's educational too. You know, if you're a beginner beekeeper, uh, it, you, you don't really know what the, uh, the possibilities are. And um, as you say, on those racks, you'll get anything from some, uh, a pale honey that's almost like a white wine right through to the darkest colours that, you know, uh, mm. that are really almost black. Absolutely. It's, it is fascinating and inspiring i think it's it is inspiring as the word hmm. that i would emphasize but um so this show is in its 80 this is the 86th show mm. it's actually um 94 years old i think it is it was nine you can do the math it was 1923 was the first honey show uh, per se it uh, had some breaks for war years, so we're not quite uh, mm. up to you know, the full 94 years. Um, it was actually founded in 1921 as a show for Surrey and Kent Beekeepers mm. Association, and um, it uh, was held at Crystal Palace. And they held it there for two years, just as Surrey and Kent. And then the decision was made to make it a national show. And um, because of the Southern connection, uh, it's been traditional ever since the Crystal Palace days that uh, Bromley Beekeepers Association has been the prime team that build the nuts and bolts of the show for oh, really? us. really? I didn't know that. Uh, so we have, a, 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 we have many other people coming in to help, but the, the core team uh, have always historically been a, a Bromley team, and we actually own a, a garage in Bromley where all the kit is stored. Wow. Um, we have, uh, it's, it's actually turning up to, to any national honey show is a little bit like a rock band arriving because we have all our kit in flight cases and it's on wheels and it gets rolled out of the trucks and, uh, you have your roadies. We have our roadies. <laughs> exactly. That's, yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so Bromley and Crystal Palace are in greater London, southeast London. That's right. And so now we've, the show has moved out slightly to Surrey, which is still southeastern England. That's right, yes. Um, but that's why often people say, well, uh, it's a national show, it ought to be peripatetic or it ought to go, you know, you, you, you cannot move this show around no. every year. It's a, a very difficult thing. We, the first year in any new venue is really hard. Mm. Uh, so we, uh, we, well, and we, we couldn't move it to the north, for example, because uh, our team wouldn't travel mm. and you just cannot translate this. I couldn't get a bunch of however willing volunteers mm. from the north of England to make this work. It just no. wouldn't fly at this level. It sounds it's, like there are experts here who, uh, in this part of the country, who just make it work. Yes, yes. The Crystal Palace years were quite interesting. Um, uh, it, it, the, we, we were there until it burnt down in the 1930s. 
And um, that was a bit touch and go for the show because all our equipment was stored there mm. and uh, it wasn't insured. So we had a bit of a problem. Mm. Uh, had to sort of start from scratch. So it became uh, a, a, a moving show. We went to various different places, Porchester Hall, Caxton Hall and around London. Um, previous to here, we were at uh, St. George's College in Weybridge. We've got very specific requirements. Uh, yeah. We can't just go into any conference venue because we have to have classroom facilities where people can make a mess mm. uh, and we need a big space for the traders and a big space. for you know, So it's not just a standard uh, mm. uh, venue that we need. Yeah, There's a lovely story a actually well. from Crystal Palace. Um, uh, one uh, uh, part of the display apparently uh, always when they had uh, an official opening or whatever it was they did a jar of honey would always go missing from the same place every year and so one year they decided that um, they would uh, uh, put something in this honey and taint it and it Julie went missing uh, the, uh, uh, the next year and it never went missing again afterwards. <laughs> so, what they put in it. That's, that's very beekeeping, isn't it? Like, you know, people are very proud and protective of their honey, but that it, that is, that's very funny. And so um, I should mention, so Crystal Palace was a Victorian building from an exposition in the late 1800s, I can't remember. Um, Prince Albert had something to do with it. And um, after the um, exposition was finished, they moved the building to Crystal Palace, so it gave the suburb its name. So, But that building burned down in the 1930s, as Bob's saying. So, um, yeah, just in case you're not from these parts of the world, (laughs) it's it's a a well-known kind of story here um but talking about stories (laughs) yesterday um the first day I thought was just fantastic so I camped out in the lecture room all day um the first speaker being Tom Seeley who's wonderful at telling stories Mm. about bees and is able to present the most complex information in such a lovely way I looked around me and everyone was just absolutely captivated so like the show is obviously pulling in major international speakers. Yeah, absolutely. We're always looking um, a year, two years mm. ahead because these guys get so booked up. Yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, and we've got quite a, a, a team uh, who are traveling the world all the time and they, they, they go to uh, conventions in different parts of the world and they hear people speak and, and you know that's how we kind of make make contact with uh with new new people yeah uh so so we were always trying to bring in you know the best of the best from wherever they are yes well i think all in all it's a great experience being here mm. um and you know i would absolutely encourage people to come and and also you know to enter the classes because I've always had fun doing that I've always had the attitude it doesn't matter like 
I don't think it's possible to embarrass yourself because you're there in a spirit of learning. Oh, absolutely. And, it, and, you, and it's, an, it's uh, anonymous. So no yeah. one, you know, uh, the, you'll, you'll know if you've won because your name will be up in lights on the, uh, it, all, all the winners are listed, but um, no, no one's going to write down, uh, you know, you, you sucker, you made a rubbish <laughs> exit. <laughs> you suck. That's Tracy Carter, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they might have wanted to do that in the I'm past, sure but they haven't, they haven't done that. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think the other thing to to remember with with that show is that um, pretty much every honey show in the country, you'd be pleased with a hundred entries, mm. and you'd get a judge to come along and and look at it. We had, I think, twenty eight, twenty nine judges in the building yesterday, mm. each with a steward. Uh, and some of the classes are judged off-site. I mean, I do the microscopy off-site, and we have three uh, judges for photography. Uh, Bill Turnbull judges the videos for us, you know, the television presenter. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of judges, um, and we have each one has a steward, as I say, and one of the stewards yesterday was uh, from Adelaide, and Yay. she's... Um, uh, wanting to promote uh, this sort of show in in on, in Australia, so yeah. she's she's here on a learning exercise. Well, they've certainly got enough honey to <laughs> to justify it. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, the stewarding. Um, I mean, that's another opportunity to it's learn as well, isn't it? There is no better opportunity uh, than stewarding at any show. Mm. Uh, I mean, certainly the national is the the place to do it but if you get the chance to steward at any honey show you will learn so much from the judge it's a it's a really good Mm -hmm. good thing to do um you can apply uh to uh well you'd need to look in the schedule i think it would be the general secretary uh, that you'd Mm -hmm. apply to uh uh, asking if you can steward but Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great experience Mm -hmm. great i should i must do it actually i could with a bit of a kick in terms of raising my standards a bit. Um, I was going to ask you about plans for the future. Well, uh, plans for the future are to uh, stay here at Sandown Mm. Park and that uh, is a very expensive exercise for us. Um, uh, I I would tell you candidly that we made a loss last year uh, and I fully expect us to make a loss this year. Uh, now that's budgeted for. We we have contingency planning in place and have had for for years, uh, so that uh, you know in the unlikely event that we have no income, which mm-hmm. won't happen, but uh, we can still sustain the show. But that can't go on. So we are actively seeking uh, sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, we would love to hear from anybody uh, who is prepared to to sponsor the show in any way. Uh, also, at a, at a smaller levels, just sponsoring lectures is good. I mean, we uh, uh, we asked two hundred and fifty pounds to sponsor a lecture, mm. uh, and that's really great if some people can that's do great that. Great value. Yeah, well, absolutely. And you get your name up. You put, you know, you can have your name uh, on on a, a slide before the lecture, banners up in in, in the lecture theatre, uh, and we video our lectures uh, and this is our sort of outreach if you like Mm. our educational side Um, 
we uh, have them professionally filmed, which is very expensive. Uh, and and uh, most of the money goes actually into the post-production, uh, the editing mm. and so forth. Uh, and then they are put on our website uh, as a free uh, view. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's it's education for people all over the world. And since we started doing it, we uh, the last number count I saw was we'd had 525,000 hits. So that's quite a reasonable uh, <laughs> amount of reading. Yeah. Yeah. So we're quite proud of that. Uh, and we're hoping that we can, we, we, we've got different sponsors each year have, have helped to pay for the lectures. Uh, so we'd like to put one sponsor in who says, okay, for a set number of years, mm. we will do that. And that's what I'd like to do all through the shows to find areas that are appropriate, uh, for specific sponsors to do things, uh, um, the Jockey Club here, who run the Sandown Park, have been very good. Yeah. Uh, they've uh, uh, they're, they're sponsoring mm. us this year, and we have uh, great support from one of the London livery companies, the Wax Chandler's mm. Company, mm. Uh, who who have uh, been very good to us. In fact, next year will be the twenty fifth anniversary of the Wax Chandler's uh, mm. uh, helping the show. So. Uh, that's great. Yeah. That's a good fit as well. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, individually, uh, people can get involved. You could uh, come along and become a member of the show. It's uh, it's only £20, uh, and that mm. gets you in for all three days. I think that's amazing. I, I meant to say that earlier, actually. Well, when you think, uh, you know, compare it with what else uh, is out there in terms of, uh, of, of entertainment, it's uh, it's really, really good value. Yeah. You know, we try to keep it as low as we can to encourage people to come along um but you can you can become a life member too if you want to uh which uh, if you're hopefully going to be coming for many years actually uh will save you money in the long run mm. uh and um there's always that little box at the end of the entry form that says donations yes and, uh, so uh i i'd encourage everybody to to come uh do enter uh, but just come along and uh, and support the show because like everything in life, it's use it or lose it. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I can't imagine not having the show because, you know, apart from all of the, the fun and, you know, inspiring aspects of it, it's just a lovely kind of punctuation in the bee year because, of course, you know, we've all harvested our honey. We're putting our bees to bed for the winter. Mm. Um and it's time to, you know, celebrate and talk to other beekeepers. And I think it is a wonderful opportunity to get together. Um, so thank you very much. That's my pleasure. Thank you for talking to me. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to more fantastic lectures today and tomorrow. Yes, it'll be an another good day tomorrow. Uh, we'll be uh, winding it up with a prize giving from uh, the uh, High Commissioner of Trinidad and Tobago. That's right, yeah, that's uh, and uh, then we will be back here uh, the last uh, weekend of uh, October in 2018. That's fantastic. I'll see you then, if not before. <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Bob. That's a pleasure. So it was an absolute uh, pleasure talking to Bob, um, who, yeah, took time out of a very busy point in the show to talk to us. Um, and I've, 
I've known Bob for, well, basically since I started beekeeping. Mm-hmm. And um, Bob was actually my examiner when I did my basic assessment. It's his fault, is it? <laughs> he, he was, he's just such a, an, an encouraging person. So um, thank you, Bob, for your time. He's a class act. I've got his book. Oh, have you? Yeah. It's my microscopy book. Oh, well, absolutely. Yes. I haven't actually He's done my microscopy, but I've got his book. That. You should do it. I'm going to. It's on my list. Um, yeah. So I think the other thing um, which we didn't mention is that Croydon, which is the association that we belong to, I believe, I have been told this, <laughs> we were one of the original associations that were, was involved in founding and setting up the Honey Show. Yeah. in 1926 so that is why i always go <laughs> i always go through the pains of trying to get some entries together to put into the show um there are a few of us in croydon who do that to try to you won prizes didn't keep you? our profile what, what did you read prizes for i won a second for my honey and a second for beeswax and a highly commended for my other beeswax so i am I'm really happy with it because last year I didn't win anything for my honey. And it's nice when I do. Yeah. The people I work for are always happy when I do. Oh, is, is, do you get the label award winning honey then? Yeah, actually I should, shouldn't I? <laughs> so, um, and, get, and it's worth pointing out that if you enter into the honey show and you win a, you win, you win a prize, it's, it's money, isn't it? They actually give yeah. you cash. Guess how much I won this year? Ten pounds, was it? Yes, I won ten, ten whole pounds. pounds. A new ten pound note with Jane Austen on it. That means your smoker only cost you five pounds. I wish. That's what I told. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what I've been telling people. That's what you reported back. And <laughs> yeah. it cost me fiver. Yeah. But also, I mean, I think are you going to enter stuff? Well, I've been bullied into it, aren't I? Let's be honest. Good. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm doing my best. Um, it's actually fun. Like, you know, if you don't take it too seriously and... I won't. And personally, no, I'd suspect you won't take it personally anyway. Um, you know, it's it's just so nice because you work so hard all year to produce this stuff, this honey and beeswax and whatever. And then at the end of the year to have the kind of show to kind of celebrate what you've done and, you know, it's it's so nice to be able to point to something to hold a jar of honey and say this is what i did yeah and it's even better if you can kind of present that to its optimum standard and win a prize for it i like i liked his story about uh, the the stolen jar of honey oh yeah that's great that's a typical beekeeping it's response, such a beekeeping <laughs> story the world of beekeeping it's just, <laughs> it's weird. It's just I'd, weird i just like someone thought well, how can we stop it we know we'll make it taste slightly, slightly unpleasant. Yeah, it's, I wonder what the mindset of the person was. You know, was it? Oh God, they're on to me. I better stop. Or was it? Oh, I don't like that honey anymore. <laughs> yeah, it is very much the world of beekeeping. So this honey's gone downhill since I last had it. <laughs> but it's nice to sh- see the show kind of growing and thriving. Because I love it, well, I really it is, do. I think it's the largest. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic world, yeah. show. So, I mean, if you're visiting, if you happen to be in England in uh, October in London, um, it's a very short train ride to to the location, mm. uh, and you can buy the ticket online before you come and just come for a day. You, you'll love. You'll really, if you're into beekeeping, you'll love it. It's it's um, it's just. Like, I, I it's the first one I went to. Um, 
my, my evolution, when I first started beekeeping and they had all the weed winter talks and things, I didn't bother going to them. Mm. Wasn't, wasn't my thing. Um, and then I went to them. So I went, the first one I went to was, uh, Liz nee, who do from Epson beekeepers who talked about keeping, she keeps all her bees in supers. Yeah. And it was, so, I was so, it was such an interesting talk. I'm like, that is really good. And she's who got me into foundationless beekeeping because mm. she doesn't. Uh, and so I, I kind of started doing the winter talks. Some of them I don't go to if they're going to talk about, you know, how you label honey jars. I'm probably not going to go to that. But those ones I really like how other people keep bees. And then I, and then I went to the um, British Beekeeping Association Spring Convention. Yes, I've been to that. Yeah. Uh, which is okay, but it's a bit, you've got to stay in the, it's, it's held in an agricultural college and you, uh, you, you have to stay in the um, student accommodation, which is a bit like being in a young offenders institution. It, and I had, that's when I had my broken ankle. Oh, right. But it was, Mark had to push me around in a wheelchair. It was just an absolute, <laughs> it was embarrassing and also dangerous for both of us. So. <laughs> Yeah, it. Well, I don't remember it as being the most comfortable no. <laughs> bee thing I've ever been to. So that was good. I, I went to a couple of those, but this is on a different level. It's it's much more relaxed. It's well, very well it is catered. Relaxed, yeah. Um, and it's more to do. You can just pot around if you want. I mean, I, I went through the um, the trade show. And it was quite good. Um, and then you, I, and you start looking at the the expert, um, the sort of uh, competition entries. Although I don't think I'd ever put honey in as a competition just because the rigmarole you have to go through it's not it's not so bad it sounds a nightmare you got to take every bubble out and make sure yeah. the glass is perfect and but seriously if i can do it anybody can how do long it. did it take you to make a jar of competition honey well i keep the best ones aside when i extract i right. keep a few um and i start preparing them the week before but what do you have to do to prepare just well, I, I warm them up to get mm. rid of any kind of crystallization and help any bubbles rise to the surface. I mean, they usually have. And then you get like, you know, those little bubbles when you take the lid off, mainly around the neck. You just kind of skim them off with cling film, showing all my secrets. These are not, these are not my secrets. Everyone does this. And yeah, and then you just kind of top it up so the weight is correct. And you just keep removing the bubbles over about a week. And then I give it a final bath in warm water to just let it kind of you know get nice and clear but I mean I guess the thing is you know it's I think I wrote this in a blog you know when you're dealing with honey it's such a beautiful product you want to make sure that you present it in the most beautiful way that you can just for sale and I mean I have we've all seen jars for sale which are sticky or dirty or where yeah. the lids are a bit rusty whatever so I think learning show standards kind of makes you it's not that I've raised my standard in terms of sales how I sell them but it certain, certainly made me more aware of just being proud about the honey yeah. I mean that's that's that matters to me personally like getting all the labels labels on straight absolutely yeah yeah and you know yeah I mean there are some there are some conditions that you shouldn't sell honey and I recently saw some quite badly frosted jars of honey somewhere for like nine pounds each um you mean frosted you, you know when it crystallizes oh yeah and um 
kind of, it looks like it's stuck to the jar. It's like, it looks icy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's not nice. It's not nice. So you kind of think, well, okay, I'm going to, you know, present my honey. And, and I'm sure that person did present their honey in a really good way. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. And it's been sitting around for a while and and whatever. But I guess doing the the competitive stuff for me has also introduced me to just how beautiful beeswax is. And this is not something, you know, Paul, that I ever, ever thought I would, you know. How long does it take you to make your beeswax? Because your beeswax bars, in my, when I, melt, I melt my beeswax into bars. Oh, but the, yeah, yeah. the limit of my processing is I take it out of the, the solar extractor. Uh, I, I boil some water, put it in the water so it will melt again, and then just pour it through a big sieve. And that's a limit of, <laughs> of what? Well, that's that's all you need to do if you want to trade it or use it again. I just use it for other stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, for show – you use cappings, you use the whitest of cappings mm-hmm. and you don't put them through the extractor. You just wash them in rainwater <laughs> and treat them like a baby. Wash them in rainwater and then you melt them in a double boiler and you strain them through nappy liners. I use, there you go. There's another, that's actually, that is my secret, damn. Um, and <laughs> edit that, that out. out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I sprayed it through beep. Because, you know, stakes are high. This is beeswax we're talking about. And... Um, yeah, it's it's just a lovely thing to do and you it gives me pleasure and I think having the competitive show as part of the national honey show rather than just trade show and lectures which some of the others are lends it that bit of excitement I think. I'm sure oh, it's lovely. <laughs> I mean, there's one uh, seeing the, all those jars of honey lined up. It's beautiful. But they've loads of competitions and they've mead uh, honey, mm. wax. My favourite was the uh, children's pictures. Oh, yeah, they're it's great, really, aren't they? It's so cute. It's amazing. <laughs> um, what else they've got? They've got uh, comb honey, chunk honey. Well, any honey you can think of, frankly. Yeah. Uh, then there's cakes. Not going to taste them, sadly. But, yeah, I... I Jams, mead. Oh, yeah, it's everything. It, like, just everything. Cosmetics. yeah. yeah everything it's just astounding and um yeah so i did that it was quite it was I, I really enjoyed that so i think i may or may not possibly probably do a do entries next year because we do a cup don't we so there's loads of cups at the honey show and there's a cup between our association and, and wimbledon uh, every year and it's based on who gets the most points mm. so how many times have we won that oh no i should know this and i don't but for quite a long time and we kept it again this year which is always a it's always a lovely thing especially against Wimbledon you know they're a really <laughs> strong association no I mean you know it's it's a worthy you know win for us um so yeah again you know all the cups at the end that are presented all the silver my god it's amazing you walk past this room on the last day of the show and there's this whole room where they're just polishing trophies they do such an amazing job actually at like, you know, looking after them and they engrave them there. So if you win something, which sadly I never have one day, I want to, I mean, obviously you don't get to keep them. You only keep them for a year and then bring them back. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's very traditional. It's got that element of tradition, but um, undoubtedly for me this year, the best, best thing were the lectures. Um, I thought they were just incredible. Um, 
What was your favourite? Would you say if you could possibly? Well, I know, I know my favourite. Should we? Should we? Hang on. Let me just go through my list of who was presenting lectures. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> um, so I guess the the headline act was uh, Tom Seeley. Yeah. So you, you uh, really enjoyed Tom Seeley, didn't you? Sitting I love Tom Seeley. Oh, Tom. Yes. Uh, and he signed he signed my copy of Honeybee Democracy. Oh, yeah, he signed my book as well. He signed yours. Yeah. There was a real queue of people. To sign it. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think a few people went the first day yeah. and everyone else went, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, what I liked is when he signs your book, he draws a little bee as well in the, book, in the signature. Yes. <laughs> it's really soppy, but it was yes. really nice. So it's Tom Seeley. He did some really good lectures. Um, there was... Uh, Heather Massela. Heather Massela. I really enjoyed I Heather Massela. I think that's Masala. how you pronounce yeah. it. Sorry, I got um, that wrong. Meg Seymour, Roger Patterson did a did a um, presentation. Uh, Kim Flotnam. I'm destroying people's names. He's the editor of Bee Culture. He did some really good stuff about drones. Uh, that Peter was a Tom- great talk. Yeah, Peter Tompkins. There was loads of people, but um, my favourite was Heather's. She um, she did a bit of research where they went to Vietnam. To research, um, so what they what they observed in Vietnam on the uh, Apis serrana is um, that some of them what they put put looked like they were putting spots of dirt on the front of the hive, mm. and they they went to, to. I mean, I'm destroying her story, so but you should if you can get a chance to see Heather talk about this, go and go and see it. It's brilliant. It's got really great video and stuff. So they they went to. They they got sponsorship from National Geographic to go over and find out what these spots of dirt were, uh, and, and what they discovered was that it was a defence against the giant hornet in Vietnam, which isn't the same as the the one that's in Japan, but the same size. So, so if you look at your thumb, that hornet's slightly bigger than your thumb. It was massive, huge, monstrous thing. I think it was. I think it was Vespa Soror. Soror, yeah. Because Mandarinia, Vespa Mandarinia, I know is the Japanese giant hornet. Yeah, that's, it wasn't that's that. the one she said that can has killed people. Yeah, stings have killed. Oh, it's just enormous. The ones, monstrous. the ones that she was working with were just huge. Yeah, and what they discovered was that um, how can you put this subtly? There were certain types of poo. <laughs> Filth, she calls she it. She calls it filth. Yeah, she's very scientific, though. I'm just going to call it poo. <laughs> Basically, they found, found chicken ch- chicken shit works really well at defining. <laughs> you can't say that. I've just said it now. We have to take it out. I'll beep it. <laughs> uh, everyone else can guess what it is, right? But... <laughs> But basically, found that, that, that certain types of dung, filth, as they call it, um, deter these hornets from entering the hive. Because once the, what I didn't realise was from her lecture, she's saying that wasps, so hornets are wasps, don't communicate the location of their prey. So they're not like bees; they go out and they find something and they come back. Um, but some do. So, so very few do. So mm-hmm. giant hornets in Vietnam, they they find a beehive they rub a pheromone on the beehive and then they've got video of this massive hornet just, just, just rubbing its thorax. Mm. Uh, sorry, it's abdomen over the... Over like the, a waggly line. Yeah, it looks like it's doing a waggle dance. Hive, front, yeah. And it's just spreading this pheromone and all the other hornets smell it and they land on the beehive and within two hours they've just decimated it and then they move in uh, and, and eat everything. 
So what they found is mm. is that by putting this filth on the front of the hive, the, the the hornets didn't like landing on it. So it kind of deterred them a bit from doing it. But it's a really interesting story. And um, some of the defences Serana's got for hornets are just amazing. They're amazing little bees, aren't they? I say little because they're smaller than yeah. the ones we're used to. But it's how uh, what the, the bit that amazes me is how fast they go into the hive. Yeah. Because they, they're used to being predated on outside the hive. They've developed this behaviour where they go in like little rockets. So yeah. the, you're, our bees, they kind of land on the outside, have a look around, wander in. Those bees, they go straight in, don't they? It's like, yeah. Whoosh, it's like a, like, it's like bullets, a, yeah. yeah. They're amazing. Like seeing the Star Wars when the, the rocket goes down the pipe. It's like, so the video in these bees just entering the hive and you just see these blurs going past the hawking wasps because the, the hornet's mm. trying to catch it. So that was amazing. And the one you liked was a shimmer thing, didn't you? Yeah, they do this behaviour where it's almost like they kind of gather together on the outside of the hive and they, yeah, shimmer their wings. But it's like a ripple. It's like a shoal of, of fish. <laughs> it's like they're all doing a Mexican wave, you yeah. know, on the, Go away. the front of the hive. And it looks... I thought, God, if I saw my bees do that, I don't know if I want to go near them. But I think the, I think that was a great talk. I agree. And the thing was the film she had was just incredible because, of course, you know, we – I don't know. And Well, speaking for myself, I read a lot about this stuff, but I rarely see – I rarely go on YouTube or whatever and actually look for footage. Um so to see these things, you know, the size of the hornet compared to the bees um, and to see these bees foraging on filth. Uh, <laughs> We're not going to give her whole story away because you need to go and see her later. Yeah, how, it, it how was she great. found that out was quite funny. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound very glamorous as a scientist. Yeah, that's definitely, I think, the one to look out for. And I thought Kim Flotton talking about drones was good as well because you know we all know they're important and everything but it's you know it kind of turned it around a bit and said well okay yeah you're making sure you produce good drones um but are the other beekeepers in your area doing that who who are your queens mating with um it it was really good it was kind of stuff that you you know but maybe that you hadn't really thought about in enough detail mm. so it was it was really good Heather did another talk about queen mating, about promiscuous queens. Yeah. And that was really interesting. So they artificially inseminated one queen with, I think it was 15, but they ended up with maybe 13 different mm. types of drone semen. And then they artificially inseminated one queen. I think it was with one. Yeah. And the change in performance in that hive was dramatic. Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah. Even down to things like... I can't remember the – what's the biological term? Is it polyandrous? I, I could have it in front of me, but I don't want to flip yeah, through was, my pages. Yeah. Um, queens that mate with, obviously, lots of drones, um, even down to small details like their offspring dance more, mm. do more waggle dances. Um, so, yeah, that the colony as a whole just being so much more adaptable and – Robust, I think, vigorous, maybe. Yeah. So just she was saying that how how important a well mated queen is in in terms of just the performance of the hive, which really go, went linked to that talk about the importance of drones. Because I think quite often in in I know I know 
beekeepers see drone brood as something to take out of the hive mm. quite often. They use it for drone control. For example, you do the, the race of drone cone, cut it, let them all die. Because it is good for that. It is but, very good that, yeah. for that. But I think the consequence of that is if you've got fewer drones, that means your, your queen's probably getting mated poorly. Mm. So, I, I mean, I do foundation, so I get a lot of drone cone, probably out of 11 frames, probably two and a half of them are drone cone. Um, and I've been taking one frame out and just leaving one frame in. I think next year I'm just going to leave them all in and see what happens. And just monitor, yeah. the, as long as I monitor the varroa very carefully, I should be okay, just to see if that has an impact on how well my queens get mated. Mm. Well, he gave a, he explained a way of calculating how much drone brood you have, um, which I can't Go on. remember big, right now. Big three. Are they the notes you took at the Honey Show? Yeah. In your lovely Honey Show notebook? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he said... Can't believe you took notes. If you want to you. calculate the drone population, you... I'm not sure I understand this. You count the drone cells. You return 14.5 days later and count them again, you subtract You subtract the first number from the second, you divide by 14.5, and that will give you the number of drone eggs that the queen is laying per day. Oh, wow. Okay. So I guess you could use that to make sure you're not taking too much drone co- dr- too much drone brood out for yeah. Varroa. I'm just going to leave it all in and see what happens. Yeah. But um, I just need to be, I mean, one of my things next year is I'm going to, focus on is just measuring varroa but i really enjoyed heather's stuff she was really good the the the, the queen thing was really interesting i missed the pollen thing because i couldn't go on thursday when she was talking about the importance of pollen early in the season that was interesting as well because she said you know she was she just kind of made the point that actually pollen provides virtually all the nutrients that bees need so if they're starved of it, if, if they are subjected to pollen stress when they're larvae, so you're talking about all the different, uh, the different, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, the different things, for want of a better term, that a colony does when it's under pollen stress to manage that. So cannibalizing larvae, for example. Um, feeding larvae less, feeding them, visiting them less, feeding them less on each visit. So that was interesting. Um, But she was saying similar things. Uh, uh, Colonies that have been under uh, pollen stress um, during spring when they're developing, less, much less foraging. Forage is much more likely to, twice as likely to disappear while out foraging. So the population is just going down and down, less waggle dancers. Um, I, it, it was really, really interesting, you know, hearing these lectures about how a colony's growth and development is affected by, you know, poor queen mating, well, which we all know, and lack of pollen. But she also said that the pollen that they store themselves in the hive lasts for ages and is preserved really, really well if it's been properly processed, you know, and sealed with honey. She said that pollen is good nutritionally for a long time. So it made me aware sometimes if you're removing frames or, you know, taking frames out to make nukes or 
you know, make colonies stronger, share stores, you're actually removing, there might be pollen on those frames that I'm removing from colonies and I haven't thought enough about it. Ah, that's a very good point. So you went to the Tom CD honey factory. Yeah, that was my favourite. I know that was your favourite. I couldn't make that one. So what did you talk about in that one then? Well, it was, it was just a great, it was talking about how a colony allocates labour to cope with the fluctuating nectar flow. He talked about the colony as a factory and he talked about the, the production floor, i.e. when bees fly in with nectar and offload nectar. And he said, yes, you know, a colony needs to recruit foragers through waggle dancers, but also needs to make sure there are enough, he called them processes, enough bees to offload that nectar and start processing it. Um, and he talked about how a colony regulates that um, through dancing. So obviously you've got the waggle dance to recruit workers. He talked about um, the shaking signal that they do, which he called shake and wake. <laughs> it was brilliant. He said, you know, bees do sleep. They, they kind of, you know, hang on a comb and kind of go into a bit of a shutdown state. And bees go around and wake them up when they need more uh, labour. And then he talked about tremble dances, which is what bees do. When bees come in, if there aren't, if there isn't another bee to take their nectar, they do this thing on the comb, which basically it's vibration that goes to the whole colony, which says, right, we need more processes now. Um, and then, you know, just finally, this beep signal that they do which is if, oh, you know, for example that. if a bee's doing a waggle dance and no more um foragers are needed another bee will run through and basically head butter and make this beep sound we played that in a to, previous podcast exactly yeah to um to kind of shut down the communication that's going on so of course you're doing all of this and you just think he he just it's just lovely he kind of tells his story he's great at telling stories it's a really good presenter and then kind of opens up the possibility this concept that the bees are doing this they know what's going on in their colony and they are able to take measures to regulate and deal with complex things like fluctuating nectar and all of a sudden a flow so you kind of you become aware of this well i mean i certainly know that my bees know more than me <laughs> <laughs> um but you know he said that you know, never underestimate the bees. And actually, Kim Flotton, one of my other favourite quotes was, um, bees are the best beekeepers. So, you know, learn from them. That's true. It is true. Was I'm, I was fired up by this. Can you tell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, know, I, know you, I, know, I know when I spoke to you on uh, Thursday, you were just being great. You were really enthusiastic. Uh, you did, he did some other ones. The one I found interesting just – what I do for a living when he was he talked about um how, how so one of the interesting things about social insects if you do anything to do with learning systems is there's no cultural transmission as animals so I guess the most famous example of that would be uh killer whales is that the killer whales depending on where they live in the world they, they culturally transmit how they hunt so some whales hunt differently to other whales Social insects don't do that. It's all genetic. Mm. So they have behaviours that they reuse 
for different things. So the waggle dance, could he, they use that in foraging and, and swarming and yeah, all sorts of things. So he was talking about how the um, how the foraging processes are used in data centers in technology. So the issue, so foraging, obviously they're out looking for resources and they recruit people to recruit more bees to help them harvest the uh, resources. Uh, but the way they find the resources, computer software engineers have used the same mechanism. So if you're running a massive uh, technology infrastructure and you're finding, and you're constantly under load, you're looking for spare resources you can bring in, you can recruit to help you deal with that load. And they have an algorithm called the honeybee algorithm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, uh, and it and it's it's just um, it was just really interesting how they took that principle mm. and turned it into a practical application in 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 what was at the time a quite a complex technology challenge. And I think he was just lamenting that he uh, that when he when they wrote the paper, him and his friend wrote the paper around that how they foraged, that they didn't patent the process because <laughs> it's, it's made millions of dollars for someone else. But it that was interesting. He did the other one about water in the hive. Yeah, the thirst of the colony, yeah. So the, the great thing about all these lectures is you go to uh, the Honey Show's website, which is easy enough. It's the honeyshow.co.uk. Or if you just Google the National Honey Show, um, there's a link there called Videos. And the Honey Show professionally videos all these um, presentations and puts them on the lecture video series there. So you can go in about six weeks. If you follow us on Twitter, we'll tweet out when it when they're available. You can go and you've got all the lectures there. So you've got all last year's lectures, the lectures before. There's, there's loads of really fascinating uh, video lectures that you can just sit down and just watch. There's... Um, my, one of my favorites on there, they've got Michael Palmer's lectures around queen rearing. Um, there's a really good one there called, um, ghost in the hive, which sort of shows how Varroa hides from the bees. So you've not seen that one. No, uh, no, sorry. Anything about Varroa makes my, well, it's, it's, it's just, just as, yeah. um, it's just essentially, um, they absorb the pheromones of the bees. So the bees can't detect them mm. by smelling them. Mm. There's loads. There's, uh, oh yeah, just go. This, this, there must be a hundred there. But um, I think they started recording them in uh, 2013. So although all these lectures we're talking about now, you'll be able to go and see those on on their uh, on their website. Yeah, it's for, great how they for do free. That. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just, no, I mean, not that it was expensive to go to the Honey Show. I think it was twenty pounds. It was, yeah. You bought membership for all of those days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think it's such incredible value. But you know, it just felt so. I think when you get the opportunity to watch really good lectures, hear really good lectures like this, you know, I was just thinking, God, what could be nicer? You know, make myself comfortable. <laughs> As you say, cup of coffee, piece of cake. It's nice. Spend the afternoon listening to great stuff. Went yeah. in the morning, had a cup of coffee, bacon roll. Went when yeah. when, when I watched a lecture, had a chat with some people we knew. Um, we weren't meeting from people. We were trying to meet people who listen to the podcast. There, we were going to meet Mark, and sadly, we missed Mark. Yeah, that's. I think a shame. we just missed each other. But we'll next time we go, we'll sort that out. We'll do it. We'll be a bit more uh, um, professional <laughs> about, about organising our time. Um, it is distracting, though. You can get distracted by the acres of stores selling you stuff. Mm. 
Yeah. And by the the need to get to Tom Seeley's lectures early in order to the order the auditorium was packed and I mean I think it was really good. I did um I spoke to Heather Mattler at the end, um, going down in the lift. And she she did say, um, and I think, you know, this was also expressed by other speakers that it was just so good that so many people turned up really interested you know we're not scientists no. we're we're hobby beekeepers um so it kind of yeah showed how how many other beekeepers there are i felt like me who were just as interested some really of the questions good. were really good some, mm, some, really some good could questions. ask some really good questions and they and, and all the lectures were available for you to talk to afterwards uh, when you weren't trying to get your book signed by tom yeah yeah i had a little chat with heather about promiscuous queens I've got another phrase for him, but I'm not going to use it. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't. <laughs> but, but but that was really interesting because yeah. I was sort of saying, what I asked her was, are, is a queen that's mated with 30 beat drones better than a queen that's mated with 15? And she was telling me that um, the research kind of shows that, it, that the, the benefit flattens out. So it's not linear. So a queen that mates with 100 drones isn't 100 times better than, yeah, than the queen that mates with one. So that was it. But it was good. You can just go and have a little... Obviously, you didn't spend hours with them, sort of a couple of minutes just saying, asking follow-up questions. But it's such a lovely experience. I'm, I'm going to do it every year. It's so nice. I really enjoyed it. And it was easy to get to. It wasn't... Um, some of these conferences is a bit of a, a trek into the middle of nowhere. It's a really central location in a beautiful venue. It's well worth your time. And I think that's what you know, Bob Mora was saying that... Mm. Here's a charity. He's always looking for funding. So if you want to fund a, a lecture. So a lot of the beekeeping associations fund the lectures. They sponsor the lectures. Um, they have to put the lectures up front for two or three years in advance to get the speakers. So, you know, if you're a UK business or association, you should really contact them and see if you can sponsor them because it's a fantastic event. And also you get to spend time with the lecturers and, and introduce them and it's well worth it. So yeah, I think we're we're just all we've got the glow of <laughs> of having been, you know, inspired and it's a nice way to end the season. It's a great way to end the season. And then you start thinking about, you know, what you need to do in I know, the winter. I know I'm sitting there thinking, oh, okay, well, next year I could try this, I could try that. Oh. And you should, you should. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I mean, you know, I just think it's fun to do the competitive bit. So you, you follow us on Twitter, or if you really want to go to the source, you can go to uh, the National Honey Show's website, which is honeyshow.co.uk, and just follow them on Facebook, on Twitter. And, and once the uh, lectures are edited, so what they do is they send the lectures off to edit them, and they're very well done, and then they put them on YouTube, but all the lecture li links are on the Honey Show website. So I'd recommend you just go there. They're great, and, and if you just want to spend an afternoon watching videos about bee people talk about bees it's a fantastic resource um anyway so that's the honey show so what, what are you planning then for the next couple of so what's it what's it now it's uh beginning of november so you don't start pestering them bees again till what february Mar yeah, Mar february, february march. march end of february i'm going to start putting stuff on them so what are you going to do then in your three your three months off well it's interesting because this this year for the first time ever I, I wouldn't say I've been blasé, but I haven't uh, been as – I haven't looked at my colonies as closely as I have in previous years. So, I mean, I 
I took the queen excluders off and I can see I've got good size clusters mm. in some of them. This year I've moved some of them into nukes to overwinter. Nukes with extensions, I love them. They're just so great. Um, so, yeah, I think the thing I need to concentrate on is finding another apiary. Yeah. I need space for my queen rearing nuke okay. rearing away from my honey production, definitely. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I really need to. And I really, oh, I don't know if I should say this aloud, but um, <laughs> I want to do the general husbandry exam next year. Is that the practical? Yeah. It's a, it's a really tough one. And I've been meaning to do it for a few years and I've been putting it off. And it kind of takes 18 months to prepare for it because you've got to have, you know, at least 12 months of records and, I mean, you know what I'm like with keeping records. So, um, no. well, I've never seen the records. When I do try, the bees eat them. So, <laughs> and the, and they eat the plastic envelope that I put the bit of paper in. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I know there are other, other ways and I need to try harder. So, I'm going to try to get start getting ready for the general husbandry. And then you have to do a course, like a preparatory course, before you can do the exam. Okay. So you're looking for, so you're doing two things. You're looking for a new apiary in southeast London. Yeah. So if you've got a new apiary location in southeast London, let Tracy know. Let me know. Preferably next to sort of, I don't know, a burger bar or something. A wine bar? <laughs> a wine bar. <laughs> burger bar? Well, well, you know, it's hard work. Keep, keep <laughs> no, it. preferably next to a gin distillery <laughs> would be the okay. most accurate thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean... <laughs> See you coming out half <laughs> car. <laughs> and then, so so the hubs, that's the practical, isn't it? Yeah. So what's the basic criteria for that then? What's, what do you have to prove? You have to have done the basic assessment. Right. Um, like me. You have to have the intermediate... I think you have to have the intermediate theory certificate, which I just got, which means I've done a certain number of the modules written before, exam okay. modules. Yeah. Um, and the, I mean, it's a, it's a complicated exam. I know I can do everything and I know I've done everything required, but whether I can do it on the day in front of an examiner, like clipping Queens or whatever. Oh, you're good at quickly clipping Queens. I'm good when no one watches me. <laughs> <laughs> You have to invite people around to watch. I, I culled a queen the other week and you put, my it, favorite, my favorite. You put it under a flower. There were no flowers. I had to put it under ivy this time. All right. Okay. Anyway, anyway, can we just move on from. No, I'm never, I, I'm never, <laughs> moving, never moving on. I'm never moving that. on to the fact that when you kill a queen, you put it under a flower because I find that amusing. I prefer to use the word cull. But anyway, Murder. yeah, when I did that to her, um, I thought, oh, okay, I'll just practice clipping. Well, and the dead queen. On the before I before oh. I cull her, I always like to practice clipping them, and of course <laughs> she was already clipped on one side, so I, I managed to get her on the other side oh, as well. Okay. I think you should use these opportunities. Yeah, queen handling. I think um, queen handling is quite important. I think <laughs> if you're going to be a beekeeper, you've got to be able to do it because um, you do see people when they they see the queen, they have to move it, go to extraordinary lengths not to actually pick it up mm. they try and push it into a cup yeah. or try and catch it with this little hair clip thing and or push it with their hive tool i've seen and <laughs> you kind of think well i'm not sure that's yeah and then she always climbs on it and then climbs up your sleeve anyway yeah and it's easy to practice isn't it you just pick up drones 
That's what I did. Just picked up loads of drones. There's also that little nerve. That's why having spare queens is good because you sort of think, well, if it goes wrong, I've got a spare. Mm. And and is that the one? So in the BBK exams, so that's the other practical, the general husbandry. Is, is there another practical? I think there's the advanced husbandry. Is that when you get your master beekeeping? So is that the one where you have to show sort of queen weary methods and... You have to do that for the general. Okay. You have to show queen that you've been doing queen rearing and what your results are. I mean, I've done everything. Like I said, you know, there's a lot you have to show um, that you've got beeswax. Oh, you got loads of that. For various stages that you've done creamed honey or seeded honey, various different types of honey. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not difficult stuff and I've done all of that. Um, but it's, yeah, you know, they come, they go through everything. They look at your all your honey extraction stuff, where you extract honey, where you store your equipment, how you're cleaning it. I mean, it's a really it's a really thorough thorough exam because obviously the basic is manipulation. Yes. of colonies. It's can you inspect basically, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this is your whole kind of can you your do- whole beekeeping enterprise. It's good. I mean, it will it will really do me good, and it's not it's not easy, and it's not the kind of thing you go into expecting to pass. So, and also, if you if you can find a new apiary site beginning of the year, yeah. you'll be able to build it for that. Yeah, because I don't think you could do it on your current one, could you? It would be really difficult, just because you've got so many people walking past it. Yeah, because members of the public or pests, as you like to call them. No, Asian hornets and wasps are pests. <laughs> mice are pests. Yeah. Have you got any mice, do you think? Um, I found one mouse in my polynuke eating it, so I've kicked them out. There was no bees in there. Uh, I've got to go up. I was going to do it today, but it's raining, but I'm going to go up tomorrow and put all the mouse guards on. So this winter, all I'm really doing is tidying up. I've got loads of stuff to clean, so I'm tidying that mm. up. Uh, I've got... I mean, nukes. I've got five nukes I'm bringing through winter. And next year, I want to do all my queen rearing in nukes. I'm just going to use all the nukes and raise the cells and everything. So I just want to make sure the nukes are all polished and cleaned and tidy, and I've got all the woodwork to torch. Although, based on the um, was it who was it? Was it Tom Seed who was talking about propolis? Yeah, a few propolis came up quite a bit. Yeah. Didn't so I'm not going to talk. And he was talking about wild bees. Yeah. So the the the, the concept that that having a they call an envelope propolis around mm. the inside of the hive. So I'm not gonna um I'm gonna scorch uh the wooden boxes, but I'm not gonna scorch the brood boxes. So what I find is the queen excluders, if you put them on for honey, they get pretty disgusting. Yeah, they do. Crown boards got a tendency to mouldy sometimes. So I'm just gonna clean those, but the brood boxes I'm gonna leave alone. And I've just got to remake some frames and stuff. I'm actually not doing anything exciting over the week. To, I'm just going to pop up and see if they're okay every couple of weeks. Yeah, well, that's... I've strapped them all down with the super strapping method. So if there's a hurricane, yeah. they're not going anywhere. Yeah, I strapped mine when we had that storm that was supposed to be... Well, it was Hurricane Ophelia, wasn't it? Yeah. Which mainly, I know, was mainly Ireland. Scotland. but yeah. yeah, exactly, going up through there. But yeah, well, no, we were supposed to get 70 mile an hour winds and I ran up to the appearance and strapped it all and that was the day when the the sun went red <laughs> <laughs> so i was up there and the bees were out everywhere and all of a sudden 
they were <laughs> they were nowhere to be seen and the sky went red so um oh, that, that was, was an interesting that was the dust wasn't it yeah the dust from the sahara that was yeah. amazing yeah so I'm, I'm doing i'm doing that um that's what i'm doing really i'm not really i don't have a lot to do over the winter i think cleaning everything is a lot i mean i've got takes a lot i've got to tidy my shed as well my bee my bee yeah. shed because it, it's a mess uh and then i'm gonna just sit down and have a what i like to do just after christmas is just sit down and make some notes about think about what i want to do next year and just put some times in mm. so i might start uh feeding them end of february for spring so i get a march build up um when i'm going to do queen rearing which hives i want to leave alone to see if i can actually make honey because i always get in trouble every year why are we really honey poor says you my wife honey this year though i did yeah but i just give it back to them honestly i was just too lazy to you, that's it. what i mean you had you did have honey yeah bees have got it i took it off and it sat in my house for about two weeks. And I just got bored and I thought, I'm not going to extract it. I took it back. <laughs> you should have given it to me. I would have done it for you. Nah, I'm okay. So you can do that. So I think it's too hard. But I thought the pressure was on. Pressure was on. Which, let's face it, it should be to, <laughs> to have some honey. Yeah. From your, they're not pets. <laughs> not really. But I like playing with it. I, that was my epiphany this year. I think you, you probably talked me into that. It was... It's important if you want to make honey. It's important not to just leave them alone. Right? Do do the basic management, the swarm control, and all that. But don't keep taking bees out of them to make up nukes and things. Just mm. let them grow. So it's probably two there. I'll leave if they, they make it through winter. There's two I kind of identified that have gone into winter. With I mean, one of them, um, when I I checked it six weeks ago, it had ten frames of sealed brood. God, really? <laughs> well, sorry, when was that? That was uh, in like middle of September. The last inspection. God, really? Yeah, I've opened the top. God, is she box. crazy? It's on two. It's on two national. So it's on two sort of medium-sized mm. boxes. Top box completely full of stores, side to side. So it's like lots of honey there. Um, so I, I cracked that. Okay, there's loads of stores. Now I got a bit worried seeing that they might be honey bound. So I cracked that box open. And every frame, bar one, had, was was a full brew pattern. So that oh. is going to be enormous. I'll need feeding. Well, yeah. I, well, I, I kind of super cautious. Anyways, I put a, a frame, I put a two kilo pack of fondant on top of them all. Oh, she's one to watch then. I've raised from Prolific. her. Yeah, I've raised from mm. her. I'm going to do it again. I might, if they're that big coming out of winter, I might split them early to stop them swarming. Yeah. I, I just sort of, one thing we're going to be doing this winter is oxalic acid. Oh, sublimation. Yeah, because having treated mine with Max mm. in September, um, the count's too high. I did one last week. Oh, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, there are, there are two hives, which are two colonies, which have got a mite drop that's too high. You can do that now. Well, actually, maybe I need... God, yeah, I should do it now. <laughs> do whatever you want. I don't know, I'm waiting for I need to. <laughs> I need to Santa to I need to it. buy a... Uh, the, the battery I use for it is massive. Yeah. So I'm going to buy myself one of those little fishing trolleys to pull it on. Because it's heavy. It's really heavy. A what trolley? They're like a little trolley fishermen use to put their kit on. 
Oh, really? So it fits a battery perfectly and it folds up and goes in the car. And it's got big chunky wheels to go over the field. Yeah, we can do that whenever you want. Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, if they've got brood, which they probably have, you need to do – so the University of Essex, B, B Lab, uh, say you do three treatments every five days. So you treat three times over five – right. You treat three times five days apart because mm. that way you'll get the brood cycle. I, I definitely need to do it. Um, but like I said, I wasn't as vigilant as I normally am with my winter preparation. So I've got quite a few colonies that are honey bound um, where there are just tiny patches of brood okay. on the bottom of frames and everything. You know, I said I always give them space for ivy. Hmm. Yeah, they filled a super with ivy and virtually. Do you take the frames out for the super? No, I, I give them whatever old comb I've got. Oh, okay. I've got quite a lot of old comb I need to work through. Um, so I just let them, I just let them do that. Um, that's kind of my first process in recycling my old super comb or comb that's getting older. Um, and yeah, so I've got some honey bound ones. I've got, um, I mean, I hope they're all queen, right? I, as I said, I culled a queen and kind of, yeah, united them with a nuke, but I've got, I've got a lot of nukes now that I haven't really... You went nuke mad. Well, I've got a... So the good thing about the, the nukes, you keep them in, though. They've got a mesh floor. Yes. So you can do oxalic through the mesh floor. Yes. So what I'm going to buy is a baking tray to put the, the thing on. Oh, that's a good idea. And then yeah. some bricks just to lift it up. I definitely need to... Yeah. Well, we could do that. Let's do that. You can, I'm going to do mine December... Because you've got to get on it, haven't you, with Varroa? It's no good thinking, oh, I'll deal with that in a month's time because, especially in winter. Well, I don't think they, I'm not sure they have broodless periods anymore now. I don't think mine do. No. Um, like I said, they're honey bound, which I suppose could be good for um, treating Varroa because presumably all the mites are phoretic. So. You know, yeah, they're but they're not. eating the honey, aren't they? So that brood, that brood space will get bigger. Yeah, 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 yeah. Blast it with uh, oxalic. It'll knock 99% of me. Mm. I remember Tom Seeley saying in one of his talks that the problem with Varroa, Varroa was that when it um, emerged, uh, we had treatments, and he was saying, and so was Heather Matala, that if we hadn't treated – and our colonies had been wiped out, we would have been able to breed from the ones that survived and then we wouldn't have to be in the situation we're in. Um, and they were talking about the Isle of Wight disease that mm. wiped out British bees in the early 1900s and kind of using that as an example. So anyway, I am in the situation I'm in and I do have too much varroa in my colonies. Yeah, I think though what you also said was that you kind of got to keep an eye on them. What he said was, because I think people misinterpret what he actually says to kind of align to their beekeeping practices. So what he was saying was that the, the bees that he sees in the wild that are surviving Varroa through natural selection have a set of behaviours that allow them to be survive. So some of them said actually attack the Varroa, bite them. They have smaller nests. They yeah. swarm more often. Yeah. Um, so I think he was saying that they've got a set of 
behavior behavior there's a reason those bees yeah. survive so actually i can see that you know some in some ways you know very briefly i have come away from the honey show looking at how i keep bees and thinking well there's so much of this that's not natural my my colony i mean i'm i'm not in any way going to go down the natural beekeeping route um but you know i can see you that no treating route yeah, yeah exactly or you know even looking at colony sizes or the types of hive that i use because i keep my bees this way for a reason um but it is i mean it's interesting to it's interesting to kind of have your eye not not be challenged exactly, but to be aware that there are other ways of keeping bees, which are maybe. Well, we went to a winter court, didn't we? And mm. one of the points being made there was that um, if you measure your varroa, what they find is you, you'd actually treat less. So if you accurately know how many varroa in your hive, instead of doing two treatments a year, you're probably down to one now. Yeah. So that's kind of midway. Is that kind of idea of well, let's 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 measure the varroa more because a lot of beekeepers i know i do trying to treat to a calendar all right honey's yeah, off yeah yeah treatments on sit back oh, it's yeah. middle of december well look, i was just doing it yeah. yeah so christmas oxalic acid yeah the idea of saying well instead of just treating to a calendar treat to your varroa, actual varroa load mm. that requires a bit more effort to go and actually work out what your varroa load is yeah so I think some people kind of listen to what they say, like people like Tom and Heather saying, and they go, ah, just let them die. And if they die, breed back. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, look, don't let your bees die, but, no, but no, unite absolutely. them. You know, maybe unite a weaker colony with one that's thriving and understand why. Yeah. No, you're right. He definitely wasn't saying that, but he was kind of presenting a, if you look at the way that Varroa has emerged as a, a terrible problem, he was kind of offering this alternative view of if we hadn't have had any treatments, this is what, what yeah. might have happened. We did have treatments. So as a result, maybe we've kept some colonies alive that would not have survived otherwise. Yeah. Um, and it was just, yeah, I mean, obviously for me, an interesting alternative perspective from an expert. Yeah, it was really, I mean, yeah, that's what I took away from it was that, I'm not sure I'm not gonna I'm not sure I'm not gonna treat, but I think next year I'm gonna spend more time understanding the varroa load in the hives. Yeah. And try and I don't, I don't think the scale we keep bees at that it's actually possible to um select for varroa resistance. And I don't think that's what no, you were saying. I think what that's you, not what it yeah. Yeah. It's select for select for bees that generate strong colonies yeah do that first and then because because it's very difficult to select for if you look at even big queen breeders that produce hundreds thousands of queens they bring stock in externally it's mm. not all their own generated stock so it's very difficult to right. to to kind of go out and just on your own or a group of friends select for a very specific mm. trait you're better off as a group in that locality selecting for strong bees. And I think this is where it's useful to have more than one colony. Yeah. You know, I think if you can have three colonies, that's a great number because you can get some idea of comparisons and of the various characteristics, the different characteristics of different colonies. And that's when you are able to start selecting 
for the traits that you want. And I know when I started and I had one, well, in fact, I didn't, I started with two colonies. Um, yeah, you know, as soon as you kind of get to three, four, five, you get a very clear picture of group A and group B and which you want to select from. Yeah. So this winter, I'm basically just going to clean lots of stuff. Basically just going to drink red wine. Yeah. Well, yeah. I do that anyway. Eat steak, drink wine. <laughs> red wine stuff. That's this evening I'm doing that. Um, yeah, I'm just going to clean my kit. I'm going to uh, go to some winter talks. I think we've got some good ones lined up. Uh, and then you know, January, February, I'm going to start thinking about what I want to do. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll do oxalic vaporization. You have to buy a yep. big mask. Okay. You don't want to breathe that stuff in. No. And that's it. So I hope you enjoyed the uh, Honey Show show. <laughs> um, if you want to, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at the Beehive Jive. Uh, you can visit our website, which is thebeehivejive.com. Um, and if you're if you're like us and you're going into beekeeping hibernation, uh, have a nice nice uh, nice break. We're, we've got some people we're going to interview, some of our beekeeping friends that we're going to interview over the next couple of weeks and months and we'll be those shows will be uh released over the over the winter so we need to we need to just go and do them now um anyway thank you very much bye thanks everyone bye Let's go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> editing more difficult now, aren't you? Just on purpose. So, screw Paul. I'm going to just add in. Instead of being quiet, I'm going to make him find that half a second I'm not Sorry. talking. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Shit. Sorry. <laughs> oh, God. I have to put X-rated podcast now. Start again if you want. No, no, no. I'm going to edit all this <laughs> I've only done 10 minutes.